Our passage today is from the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathered around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and the legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he's thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls his friends and neighbors, saying to them, celebrate with me because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their heart and lives. Or what woman, if she owns 10 silver coins and loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house searching her home carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me because I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I'm telling you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. And then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth on extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pig ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death. I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. And he got up and he went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him, and then his son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fatted calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost 
and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard the music and the dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what was going on. And the servant replied, your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in. But his father came out and begged him and he answered his father, look, I've served you all these years and never disobeyed any of your instruction. Yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Then his father said, son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks be to God. Betty, thank you so much. I love when Betty reads scriptures. You know, she, she doesn't just read words to us. She puts herself into it, and you can tell the difference. And I really appreciate that about her. Well, look, as Bruce has already said, this is our last Sunday in our summer series on the parables. So I also hope you've enjoyed it. Um, it's fun sometimes to revisit some, some stories that may be familiar to us or maybe we haven't heard before. This, the parable of the prodigal son is one that we've more than likely heard. We've heard it preached a lot. We've heard this story over and over again. Um, I wonder how many times we actually take all of Luke 15 together as it was meant to be. Because when Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son, he first told about a lost sheep, and then he told about a lost coin, and then he talked about this lost son and his brother. So that's what we're doing this morning. And I encourage you, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open that bad boy up to Luke 15. If you've got a smartphone, you have my permission to pull that out. I will not be offended. You pull up Luke 15 on a Bible app. The reason is I want you to lay your eyes on it. And then I wanna encourage you this week, spend your own time in the quiet with God, reading Luke 15 and see what new things come up to you. What new insights? How might God be speaking to you about what he wants to do in your life? Or what you might need to stop doing or start doing or whatever. Um, Luke 15, beautiful chapter. So that's where we're landing this morning. And again, Jesus used all three of these parables in conjunction to answer actually his critics who were looking at him with all sorts of criticism because of who he was hanging out with, what he was doing. And so Jesus uses these parables to explain to his critics what he's doing, why he's doing it, and why we all should be doing that same thing. Also, three things I want us to be looking for this morning, three themes Searching, celebrating, and grumbling. These shouldn't be hard to find, but these are the three hot 
points, I guess, we're going to look for today. What were they? Searching, celebrating, and grumbling. Okay, very good. So let's start at the very beginning, verses 1 and 2. Guess what? Two verses, all three themes right there. Boom. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So, searching. The tax collectors and this generalized group of people that are labeled sinners, they are all coming to Jesus. I think they're searching. I think that these are people who are looking for some truth and looking for something new, something to give them hope and purpose. I think we see searching in the very fact that Jesus is there with them, that he's in their homes eating dinner, that he's teaching them. Um, I think we see celebrating by Jesus, it's like he's having these little celebration dinner parties with these people who are not only hearing what he's saying, but they are, they are receiving his message. They're receiving it. And so he's having dinner. I mean, what kind, who, when you go to dinner with friends, when you're in someone's home, you're laughing, you're sharing stories, you're enjoying each other. It's a celebration. So we see celebration right there. And, of course, we see grumbling on behalf of Jesus' critics. Once again, the Pharisees and the other religious law keepers who did not think it was appropriate for a rabbi to be in the company of such people, much less doing something as welcoming and as intimate as having dinner with them. And it's in this atmosphere then that Jesus gives these three parables. And when he's giving these parables, he's asking these questions. Wouldn't you do the same thing? If something that you valued was lost, wouldn't you search for it? If something that you valued was lost and then found, wouldn't you celebrate? Wouldn't you do that? How can we not rejoice over what's going on here? I think Jesus was seeking himself to change the minds of his critics, to look at these people differently. They are not worthless. They are not trash. They are not the garbage that you were to tiptoe around and act like you're better than. They are children of great value and great worth. And I take pleasure in searching for them, and I will celebrate every single time one of them comes home. So, First parable he tells is about a lost sheep. And basically this question, look, which one of you, if you had 100 and one was lost, wouldn't go out and look for him? And the implied answer is, of course you would. You'd go out and you would search for the thing that you valued, that you wanted back. You would go and do it. And he says, this is the heart of the father, to go searching for the ones that are lost. And then to Call everybody to celebrate once it's found. And he says, look, I'm telling you, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one person who receives my message and begins living their life in accordance to what I'm saying, to the truth that I'm giving, than one person who thinks they don't need to repent, who thinks they don't need to turn around and do anything different with their life. Okay, the next parable, which one of you, 
I mean, like, if there was a woman who had 10 coins and she lost one, wouldn't she search? Wouldn't she shine the light all over the floor? Wouldn't she sweep everywhere until she found that coin? And when she had that one back and she had all 10 together again, wouldn't she call her friends and celebrate? Of course she would. And you would do the same thing. Because what was lost, again, is found and it is worth celebrating. And this is the heart of the Father. He will shine that light and he will search and he will sweep and he will not stop until what is lost has been found. And when it's found, he's going to celebrate. So I think Jesus is also showing in these first two parables that there is a strong connection between what happens in heaven and what happens on earth. Okay, something on earth happens that causes a celebration in heaven, in heaven, that is stunning. See, the Pharisees, they understood that the place where heaven and earth connected was the temple. And so the temple worship and its strict rules and laws and its regulations, its purity standards were the most important because that was where heaven touched earth. The feet of God were right there. He sat in that temple. That was the most important. And what Jesus is saying is, I want to show you something new. Where heaven and earth touch, right here. And when I give out my message and someone hears it and they receive it, they draw near to me and they begin living their lives in accordance to the way I'm teaching. They start looking like me, sounding like me, receiving everything I have for themselves. Boom. That is where heaven and earth touch. And when that happens, God and all of the angels in heaven start celebrating and rejoicing because the children who've been lost are being found. That is what Jesus understood he was doing. I'm here to search. I'm here to save. I'm here to find. And I will celebrate when it happens. And we will miss out if we don't do the same thing. So the theme that we don't see, though, in these first two parables is which one? We've seen searching. We've seen celebrating. What haven't we seen in the first two? We haven't seen any grumbling. And maybe that's because no one blames a sheep or a coin for getting lost. Right? Oh, stupid sheep. He doesn't deserve it. You know, that dumb coin. How could it just walk away like that? No one blames a sheep or a coin for getting lost. But Jesus is about to get in everybody's business with this third parable. Big time. Because while you could get on board with celebrating a sheep that's been found, a coin that's been found, we've got here before us a parable about a son who is fully capable of making his own decisions. And he uses that freedom to take his inheritance, to leave home and disrespect his father and his entire family. Mm -mm. I don't think so, right? We've got a father who lavishes grace and love and welcome over this disrespecting son when he's brought home again. What kind of self-respecting Jewish father would act like that? I don't think so. And then we've got an older brother in this parable 
who, who just thinks that being good and never disobeying his father's commands is what makes him worthy of his father's favor. Jesus is getting real close to home with all of this stuff in this third parable. And also in this parable, the one who sounds maybe like the most logical one, this older brother, he's the only one in the story who's miserable. Everybody else is partying. So Jesus opens this third parable, and he, also, he starts it differently than we might expect, because instead of the father being the one who's searching, who do you think, who do you see searching right at the beginning? You see a younger son searching. He's searching maybe for a life that he thinks is better than the one he's got. He's, he's out thinking that somewhere out there, there's this better, faster, bigger, more awesome, more exciting life than what he's got at home with his father. For some reason, this well-loved, well-cared-for, fully-provided-for son thought there was more for him away from his father than at home with his father. Maybe he had a little bit of that grass is always greener on the other side problem. Maybe he was struggling with some FOMO, a fear of missing out. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe he had a little bit of that. Maybe he thought, you know what, there's more out there. I got to go search and find for it. So he, he asked for his inheritance, turns it into cash, travels to a distant country. And we know the story. He wastes everything, loses all his friends, all his money, ends up alone and destitute. And once he's in that condition, where everything he's tried has just come up empty. He realizes what he had with his father, and he decides, you know what? It's better for me to return to my father, even if it's just as a hired hand and not as a son, than to keep living off distant from him, trying to do things my own way. And so he gets up and he heads home. Now I want to just pause here for a second and ask you to consider how you might relate to this younger son. And please understand with me that we don't have to be living a wild and riotous life, this crazy life of extravagance and, and, and wildness to understand or relate to the searching that was going on in this young man, what, what the core thing was that was fueling all of this behavior. I think we can all relate with seasons of searching in one way or another. So for instance, when I was nine years old, all I wanted to be was 10, right? Man, I wanted to be a double-digit kid. All those double-digit kids were so cool. I was just a lame single-digit kid. I wanted to be counted with the double digits, right? And then I turned 10, and I found out that being 10 was a lot like being nine. It didn't really change my life a whole lot. Um, when I was 12, I wanted to be... 13. Oh, teenager. Man, all those teenagers were so cool and they were having so much fun. I was just a plain old preteen. I wanted to be a teenager, right? And I turned 13 and it was all right. It was fine. When I was 17, I wanted to be, hello? I wanted to be 18. Uh, so many added bonuses for being 18 in my mind. Not the least of which was being able to drink sweet tea in the school cafeteria, which for some reason was reserved only for teachers and 18-year-olds. I never understood that rule. I, 
I don't get it. But nonetheless, I was excited about turning 18, man. When I was 20, I wanted to be 21. Ooh, baby. An official adult. I could finally drive the church van. What did y'all think I was going to say? I... The world would be mine, 21, right? And when I was 39, I wanted to be 30, yeah. Who wants to be 40? Nobody, right? So look, whether you're looking forward and you're always going, you're pining, once I'm here, once I'm there, once I've attained this, once I've gotten to this place, or whether you're looking back and going, you know, it was back there when I should have done something. It was back there when I could have made some changes and I could have made an impact. Whether you're looking forward or back, if you're always looking out there and you're trying to grab for your life and your meaning and your identity and your passion and your purpose in some fairy tale place that always seems to elude us, you will be searching and searching and miserable because you won't be able to find it out there somewhere. Years later, after all that hubbub of wanting to be a different age, uh, a different season in my ministry, I went through another one of these periods of searching. I wasn't searching for God. I wasn't losing my faith in any way. But I think I was searching for my own significance and my own worth. Um, I began to struggle with a lack of contentment, and I thought I could fix that by going someplace new doing something different, being around different people, trying new things. Um, I had decided that a new place was just what I needed, and so I began to look around for a, a good place that would, in my mind, and I understand that saying it out loud, it sounds like, what? But, you know, you start running th thoughts through your head, it makes a lot of sense when it's just you in your head. But I was thinking, if I can find this other place, right, it's going to add value to me. It's going to add value to my ministry. It's going to add significance somehow to what I'm doing. Um, see, my lack of contentment, I, I kept thinking I was missing out on something else, that FOMO. That fear of missing out. Grass is always greener on the other side. I was so worried that I was not becoming who I needed to be, that other people had more exciting and significant places to serve and more exciting places to work than I did. And so then their ministry must matter more. Or they must be, you know, saying it out loud. It's like, what is wrong with you? But we do these things. We think this way. And so I searched and I searched and I just became miserable. I couldn't be happy where I was because I kept looking out there. So one morning, I brought all this to God in prayer. You see, I was still at home with God, but I was distant. I was home, but I was just looking out here instead of drawing near to my father and listening to his voice like I should have been. And here's what he said to me one morning. You are searching for your significance in people and in places. And you will search and search and never find it until you find it in me and believe that you are.
we will search and search. If we are looking for our significance in any other person or place other than in who we are in Christ, we're never going to find it. We are significant because Christ says we are significant. And we are of worth and value because he says we are, period. Our identity, all of those things, passion, purpose, they come only from our Father. A fulfilled life, a life of purpose and passion and excitement, it comes only from him. Everything we need in this life flows from that central identity as a son or a daughter of our father. And so if you're feeling discontent in any way, or you're feeling less than in any way, it'd be a good idea to check in with your father. You know, maybe you're searching. Maybe you've got that out there kind of thing going on. You know, once I get this stage in my career, once I have kids, once my kids are older, once I can do this, once I have this degree, whatever it is, as long as we're doing those things and we're looking there for our identity and worth, we're going to be miserable. It comes from the starting point of being a daughter, of being a son. And from that point, God speaks into your life and everything else just flows out of that. You know which direction to take. You know, you you get filled with passion. You know what your purpose is. You understand what you're to be about. All of those things. Because we don't want to be searching around for that next better job, that next better person to make us feel better, that next, that better spouse, you know, that bigger house, right? All of those things will come up short every time. But if we'll shift that focus from that out there to drawing near to God and trusting Him for our next step, then we're going to find every single thing that we need. Everything I needed, patience, endurance, passion, purpose, you know, understanding my calling, every single bit of that came to me as soon as I focused back in and came home to my father. Every single bit of it. That is what Jesus is calling us to do. So you don't have to be out, you know, like sowing wild oats and being crazy headed. You can be pretty close to home and still be distant. Okay. Um, Let me wrap this up. Okay, Um, in our parable, this young son comes back home, right? Father lavishes love and grace on him, kills a cow, has a party, uh, all of this grace stuff, right? And the only person mad is who? His older brother refuses to go into the celebration. Why? Because he didn't understand the reason for the celebration. That was his problem. He didn't get it because he thought working hard and staying home and being like those Pharisees, right? It's exactly the point Jesus is making was what made him worthy. Look, in this parable, the younger son and the older son were both wrong about their father. They both thought their actions was what made them worthy and lovable and acceptable in their father's eyes. The younger son thought, because he said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
the older one thought, I am so worthy to be called your son because I've been here. They were both wrong. You are worthy because just the fact that I call you son. You can't do anything to change it. You can't be horrible enough, distant enough, and you can't be good enough. You are because I say you are, period. The Pharisees, the religious law keepers, they couldn't understand what Jesus was doing because they didn't understand the reason for the celebration. They couldn't understand that someone who didn't follow all of the rules just like they did could be brought in and be celebrated. But Jesus is saying this exactly why they're being celebrated because I've thrown grace on them. I've given them unmerited favor. I have accepted them. And they said, that sounds great. I'm in for that. And they've come near to me. And so we celebrate. And I'm telling you that God and all of the angels are doing the same thing. And if we don't do it here on earth, we are out of step with what God is doing. You want to be in step with what God is doing? celebrate what he's doing on this earth now. Rejoice over the people who are hearing the message and changing their lives in accordance to what they hear. So my question for us this morning is how can we be people who not only realize our own acceptance, our own significance, our own value and worth is found in our Father and nowhere else, but how can we remember that and celebrate ourselves and say, Lord, thank you for what you've done for me, but then turn that out and find somebody else to celebrate. We are so busy trying to win arguments. I'm right. No, I'm right. No, you're wrong. I am right. We should be celebrating where God is working. Let's find some reasons to celebrate. Let's throw some parties. Let's be excited about what God has done. And it will transform us as a community. And we will be people who help little resurrections happen in other people's lives. Because that's the other thing Jesus says about why he's celebrating. This is nothing less than a resurrection. Because in the parable, the father says, my son not only was lost, he was dead. And he is back to life. That is what Jesus does in our lives. He brings us life. And that is worth celebrating every single time. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for drawing near to us and searching for us and extending your word to us. And Lord, I pray for any in here who may feel like, boy, they're really distant and they haven't even cared one ounce about what you've said. And they've just been doing their own thing. Maybe they think they can't come home. Lord, tell them today, come home. I love you. You are mine and I love you and I welcome you. And Lord, for those of us who are close, but Lord, we've just been discounting you. We've been discounting what you say over our heads. Lord, help us to turn to you and listen to the truth that you would say to us so that we can re-enter into that deep connection with you and find the life that you have intended for us. And Lord, may we be people who celebrate. Let us have eyes that are like yours, 
hearts that are like yours. And may we celebrate every single person who comes back to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.